This is your hyperbole-free COVID-19 news update. I am Justin Robert Young. As of the recording of this on March 20th, 1.30 p.m. Pacific time, the United States has documented 16,913 recorded cases of the virus with 230 deaths. During his press conference today, Donald Trump confirmed that he has enacted the Defense Production Act. This grants him the authority to force companies to produce medical supplies needed to handle the coronavirus. In other news, students will not have to take standardized tests this year, and interest rates on federally held student loans will be 0% for the next 60 days due to the outbreak. The IRS has also announced that they are moving tax day from April 15th to July 15th, both for filing and payment. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is taking what he calls, quote, the ultimate step in his state's effort to stop the spread of the deadly virus, signing an executive order mandating that 100% of the workforce must stay home, excluding essential services. Quote, when I talk about the most drastic action we can take, this is the most drastic action we can take, said Cuomo. California Governor Gavin Newsom on Thursday ordered California's nearly 40 million residents to stay home, making it the first state to impose that strict of a mandate on all residents to counteract a looming surge of new infections. The order takes place immediately and remains in place until further notice. Californians are not allowed to leave their home except for essential purposes. They are allowed to purchase groceries, prescriptions, and health care, as well as commute to jobs deemed essential. Texas's Governor Abbott has also suspended all bar and restaurant service in his state. And that is your hyperbole-free COVID-19 news update. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young. I want to start these podcasts off from, from here on until we're out of the woods with this, whenever that is, which is one of those updates. We're just going to tag it onto the front. No nonsense. Numbers. Numbers and facts that I believe actually affect you guys. I know it's not goofy, and and trust me, we'll try to do everything we can to keep it lighthearted in this, the main meat of the show, but I do feel like this information is important, and I would be remiss if I if I didn't try and, uh, you know, get it out there. So, there's that. Let's get into the show. We're going to be joined by my friend Kevin Ryan. We had a great conversation uh, about journalism in the age of the virus. Uh anxiety he's a man who literally just moved and he has a, a a pregnant wife who's about to give birth within the next month he's a tremendously empathetic and engaging writer and i'm excited to share this 
talk with you. We're also going to talk a little bit about the insider trading scandal. Feels like uh, uh, maybe a little nostalgic already that we, we had just a regular old politicians acting like garbage humans scandal pop up over the evening. But first, we have some breaking news. Told you we were going to keep it fun. We're going to keep it fun. New FEC filings show that Mike Bloomberg spent much more on his campaign than we initially thought. We thought that it was the gaudy, never-before-heard-of half a billion dollars. $550 million is allegedly what he spent for 101 days in the race where he won American Samoa. But wait, per a new FEC filing, Bloomberg gave his campaign $936,225,041. That means if you average out what he spent per day in the 101 days that he was in the race, he spent $9,269,554.86. Over $9 million a day. Over $9 million a day. What? <laughs> I swear, if we go into a global recession, this will be the final sign that we look back on and say, damn, we had a lot of money back then. That we had a dude for a vanity, a vanity shot at the presidency spending over $9 million a day in total and complete, sorry, American Samoa, futility. Oh, I don't know whether I feel good or bad about it. I don't know how to feel about it. But I wanted to bring that back to you. We could start things on a high note. Bloomberg wasted $9 million a day. In this crazy mixed up world in which we live in, there is a sweet simplicity to the scandal that exploded last night, and that is a possible insider trading situation. News broke specifically about Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina. He uh, apparently sold over a million dollars in stock after warning people at a meeting that he describes as a you know, a gathering of state luminaries, but was initially described as a donors meeting. And I can take a wild guess and say that there's probably a uh, little bit of a crossover between the two. I don't think either, strictly speaking, are incorrect descriptions of the meeting. Both are probably fairly accurate. Anyhow, the charge goes like this. Burr has inside government information about how bad the coronavirus is. 
He tells rich people. He then sells his stock. Now, this has triggered a a look into any and all senators that sold a a large amount of stock, and they have found a few of them, including, probably most tantalizingly, Democratic Senator from California, Dianne Feinstein, the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Also, Republican Senator Jim Inhofe, he sold stocks on January 27th that amounted to about $400,000. He says he did not have any involvement in government knowledge that affected his thinking. Feinstein has also said that her assets are in a blind trust. She has no involvement in her husband's financial decisions. Although they did sell stock valued at $1.5 million and $6 million between January 31st and February 18th. Burr remains in the crosshairs, but if there's going to be a 1A, then holy smokes, you got to take a look at Georgia Senator Kenny Loeffler. She was also at the same meeting that Burr was at. She sold her stocks valued around $1.275 million to $3.1 million. And then, and then bought in to Citrix. If you're unaware about what Citrix is, Citrix makes work from home software. That's the dirty part. Look, you're selling stocks, you're selling stocks. A lot of people sold stocks. They sold stocks a little bit earlier than most people did. So there's that. But when you're double dipping, when you're looking to also catch the stocks that are going to boom after everybody is in the toilet, oh, that smells bad, doesn't it? Lovler's not an idiot when it comes to the markets, by the way. She's a former executive at the Intercontinental Exchange, and she's married to the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange. The ire for Burr even spilled over to Tucker Carlson on Fox News last night. So you may have seen the news reports this afternoon. The chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee sold more than a million dollars in stock in mid-February after learning how devastating the Chinese coronavirus could be. He had inside information about what could happen to our country, which is now happening, but he didn't warn the public. He didn't give a primetime address. He didn't go on television to sound the alarm. He didn't even disavow an op-ed he'd written just 10 days before claiming was America was, quote, better prepared than ever for coronavirus. He didn't do any of those things. Instead, what did he do? He dumped his shares in hotel stocks so he wouldn't lose money. And then he stayed silent. Now, maybe there's an honest explanation for what he did. If there is, he should share it with the rest of us immediately. Otherwise, he must resign from the Senate and face prosecution for insider trading. There is no greater moral crime than betraying your country in a time of crisis. And that's appeared, that appears to be what happened. Oh, that bow tie's on tight. I think he's cooked. You know, the, the, the reports were around Trump that he thought Burr needed to resign, although today, uh, when asked about the insider trading stuff during his press conference, by Sean Spicer, of all people, who was there, uh, uh, I guess, with Newsmax, he said that everybody involved, including Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, were all honorable as far as he knew, but he was unaware. 
which, considering everything kind of blew up yesterday afternoon and the story isn't 24 hours old and he's dealing with a global pandemic, I can understand. As for Kelly Loeffler, oh, it's always that little bit extra. You always get caught when you do that little bit extra. It's all fairly scummy, and it's bringing up the question of exactly how much stock senators can and should own. I'm going to take the position that I think they should be allowed to own stock. All I ever ask is transparency. You want to be a scumbag? You want to do scummy moves? Do them. I just want the ability to see them. That's all I really ask. You can live whatever life you want in government. You just got to do it in public. Because if there's one weapon that I know is only getting stronger, it's our immediate reaction and judgment. And so now, if you're in a public position, Anytime you want to do something that you think is borderline, if you got to think, well, what's it going to look like with my hashtag name trending on Twitter? If that, I think that's a better deterrent than setting up a law that they're just going to figure out a way to go around. If every moment you're doing dirt, you got to think about it. I feel like that's a better way to handle it. If you would like to support this show, you can head on over to TechPoliticsSeriously.com. Again, hard times, baby, in America. And I think they're only going to get harder. I do believe we will get through this. Every dime that comes in to support me, know that it is treasured. TechPoliticsSeriously.com. Furthermore, if you want something to get your mind off uh, (laughs) off of all this, I'm doing a weird new art project. It's called Crystal. I'm reviewing Billy Crystal movies from 89 to 2001. For whatever reason, just thinking of Billy Crystal movies from the 90s brings me a smile. I feel like this is a a, a time where that's needed. If you want to listen to it, head on over to my SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Justin Robert Young. I'll have an RSS feed for that. Coming up, uh, you know, in the next uh, week or so. And finally, free, 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 free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. A lot of stuff is going to be out there. I want to give you guys this stuff for free. Always have, always will. If you want to interact with me in print or, or, or text, whatever, that's the best way to do it. Free political newsletter. My guest today returns to the show after covering the campaign trail that was his latest article on TheBlaze.com is Becoming a Father During the COVID-19 Pandemic. One of the best hangs in the biz. Please welcome Kevin Ryan. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Good to be here, my man. All right. So, uh... I wanted to have you on because you are not only very much dialed into politics and, and we, we had a good time in, in Iowa covering all the, the same stuff, but also I think you have a very empathetic lens that you write with and you just put out your first piece 
uh, uh, for the blaze about life and politics in the age of the virus. Uh, tell us about the article first. So this was actually uh, kind of a tough article to write because it was uh, my initial response was like everyone else to just kind of, uh, you know, panic and <laughs> be like, what, what's going on right here? So I did some deep breathing and really looked at the situation because uh, and I also, I also didn't want to exploit the situation, but I wanted to try and connect with people in this unique situation that I'm stuck in. Uh, that we're all stuck in, but I, um, you know, my my wife is uh, seven and a half months pregnant. You know, we just moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, so as soon as we got here, um, the corona COVID nineteen hit on a huge scale, and and you know we we couldn't see a lot of our relatives up here as soon as we got here. Yeah. We still haven't seen a lot of them. Um, and Caroline is due. I mean, the baby's going to come at any point, really. Like over the next, over the next month, and we don't. And, and you know, a baby, a baby's not going to hold out until the pandemic is <laughs> subsides. No. So we don't. Uh, we're just kind of biding our time and uh, keeping an eye on her and keeping uh, trying to keep a pulse on on everything. It's a lot of. Like like everyone right now, I, I think you know we're kind of locked up in, in indoors and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, as it it just it, it's been tough for me, man. Um, as as it has been for you, I assume. Yeah. Just trying to keep up with all these updates. Yeah. There's so let's 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 actually let, let's let's go there then. And and by the way, please, 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 everybody go check out uh, uh, Kevin's work. Is there a quick way that people can find it? Any uh, uh, I guess it is, is it on your Twitter or any other quick URL that people can go to? Yeah, uh, Twitter, uh, the Kevin Ryan uh, is probably a good place to find it or um, my landing page on the, the blaze. You can just type in the blaze Kevin Ryan and, yeah. and it'll pop up. And let me just say this. uh I don't speak for the Blaze. I speak for Kevin Ryan. Read Kevin Ryan's work. I don't care what you think about the Blaze. I don't. I don't care what you think about Glenn Beck. Go read Kevin. Is it, it, it's it's great stuff. And and uh, not only is he a, a a crazy talented writer, but these are crazy interesting times that you want to hear the work of crazy talented writers. But let's let's go. Thank you, Justin. No problem, man. Uh, let's let's bring people into kind of our way of the world. You are a magazine writer. I am a podcast creator. The, the speed in which we have to consume information is different, but where are you looking for information? I think that's, that's something that I think people would enjoy hearing is for people that need to feel a responsibility that their information is correct. Where are you getting mm -hmm. it from? That's a great question. So, um, Every single place that I can find it, and a lot of times that involves going to Reddit or going to uh, t Twitter. It's great about it, um, and um, but also every every news source really. So a lot of Fox will cover, you know, if Trump hiccups, they'll cover it. So I'm, I usually go there. I've got my uh, White House credentials, so I get all of the any transcripts from any speeches he gives, any teleconferences or news conferences. Um, and they're usually 
they're usually at least a day ahead um, releasing information to press about uh, any any really big news. And yeah. In the email, they'll say, this is not reportable, but get ready for this. Uh, and I think the, the this, just this morning I got an email from a teleconference Trump had with uh, all the governors. Um, so I, that's not a great sign. Um, <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's rarely uh, it's rarely uh, that all the governors and the president get together so they can complement <laughs> each other's ties. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Man, it's just uh, yeah, it's it's out there, I, and I'm glad you know I'm glad that we do the job that we do because you know this is this is one of the many discussions we had in Iowa. Yeah, is like our responsibility as uh, people who. Um, take in as much information as we can, translate it, and, you know, there's a gatekeeping aspect to it, but we have to do it with good conscience, and then relaying that information to our audiences in a responsible way. So let me ask you this, because I got very frustrated uh, from a journalist perspective today watching the White House press corps, um, number one, in general, I have a fairly low tolerance for the president and the press fighting with each other um, in general during peacetime. I I, I find myself becoming infuriated by it during wartime effectively. Uh, uh, And I want to start a petition. And since you are the closest uh, connection that I have to the White House Correspondents Association, uh, uh, just a petition to ban what do you think the message it sends of questions like they're just they're fundamentally useless questions. We got three of them today. Of what do you think the message mm-hmm. that you send for doing this or for yelling at a reporter or yada yada yada? Like the president is going to be who he is. Uh, he's the leader of the free world. Un- you know, like it or not, uh, uh, that's that's the position he sits in. The one thing that we need to do journalistically, journalistically, and specifically for the people that are there day in and day out in that room is to ask solid numbers or fact-based questions. Yes or no's or how many's, not what do you think the ephemeral message of something is. Do you support me here? Spot on. Yeah, and I tend to be um, hypercritical of my fellow journalists because I think there's there's a movement going on right now that I'm really unhappy with, with um, – inside journalism and i've written about this a little bit and i've got a few uh stories coming out within the next well we'll see (laughs) at some point point. (laughs) we'll see uh uh, basically about the fourth estate and and like the evolution how we've gotten to this point and i think a lot of it is um this me trying to to communicate to a lot of the journalists my, my journalist friends who have a serious problem with Trump openly. It's like, I'm trying to communicate to them like, Hey man, if you just, if you just report on him as objectively as possible, like you'll take the power away. It's like, it's like the kid who, um, who, who like feeds into, to like the, it's like the kid who feeds into people who are teasing. Yeah. Like, it's like, dude, if you just like, let the teasing not bother you or, or just like give that facade, then the person teasing you has no power. 
like I think, and I think more specifically to your question, yeah, like everybody needs to take a deep breath. Every single one of us, you know, like there are points and and throughout the day that everyone, every one of us needs to, and especially the president and the press. And we, this it's frustrating. I agree because they don't need, neither one of them needs to be making this about themselves. And that's, it's very disappointing that, that that's what's happening. I mean, we, we like, and we, it's frustrating because we expect it from both of them, you know, like obviously Trump, you know, that's what we, we talk about as a nation that, you know, and that's even what Trump supporters like about him. That's what you know. Trump's critics. Well, that's 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 the that's, that's the problem. Him. The problem is that right now we have such an antagonistic, uh, antagonistic relationship between a portion of, uh, of, you know, specifically Republican, conservative, libertarian, whatever you want to describe that side of the, the 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 spectrum, have an antagonistic relationship with a lot of the mainstream press because they don't feel like they've been covered fairly, and so they delight when when Trump does it. Because by the way. Let me just put this out there for everybody. It's not as if in years past that administrations were always very nice to journalists. The difference, like, Mm -hmm. they would get yelled at. They would get dressed down. The difference is it wouldn't be the president on camera. It would be whoever is is running that uh, press conference or, or the liaison to the press when the cameras are off. They would still get yelled at. They would still get treated like dog crap. The difference is, is that it wouldn't be a spectacle. It wouldn't be a show. And we're in this situation now that, again, is not new of there's a member of the press who asks, and I would say it, there's no way that you cannot categorize it as a leading question, a question where you are yeah. leading somebody in to say something. The president, who's very media savvy, identifies the leading question and instead of answering it with any kind of face value, just immediately starts snarking at the reporter, and that sets off a chain reaction of the next three reporters asking the president about why they were mean to the first reporter. And, like, it's stupid all the time, but it's frivolous most of the time. Now, when 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 you have the ability to ask, hey, a week ago you, you made these promises about testing facilities— what are the where are we at? If we were at ten percent on Friday, are we at thirty percent today? Are we at fifty percent? Like, like you you can get hard numbers on this stuff, and since you're having these every day, you can get you can ask them to come back with numbers, and I think they would, or at least you could hold them to the fire on that. Definitely, and you 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 hit on something really important there, and that's that uh, Trump has been doing this for at least thirty years. Yes, like he's he's a master of this. He knows he knows the power of like upsetting the the press in such a way that I mean the 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 amount of coverage that Trump is giving is unprecedented. I mean they they've like they they've run the data they've done they've um like they've done quantitative studies and it it turns out that you know forty to fifty percent of the news coverage is of uh, is Trump. Yeah, Which, you know, and they they compare that to the last four uh, presidents, and you know they typically clock in at like ten percent. So it's like, and you know, ninety percent of the coverage of Trump is negative. So it's like that's gonna that that will annoy people like inevitably, but it will also it serves as a like a 
cycle of confirmation bias yeah. in, uh, in both directions. Um, but I, I also think there's an issue, and I, I think I'm a little harder on uh, our fellow journalists uh, because I'm, I, I, feel, I feel this need to be responsible because there is a responsibility to it, and there's yeah. no... Because because no, because me and you cannot talk to our fellow presidents, so instead we will be yeah. critical of our fellow journalists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, wouldn't that be something? Uh, <laughs> that's like The Office when uh, Michael and Jim are like co-managers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there's this movement in uh, journalism that's popped up in the past, I'll say, Definitely in the past four years, since since one certain huge event in 2016, um, which is like skewed toward activism, and I find that really unsettling that activism and journalism have combined at at the highest level and at the the most powerful journalistic institutions in in the world, but especially in America. Uh, and that's I think that I think that's the impetus for a lot of what we're seeing in these situations. It's like kind of small town bickering. What you're actually seeing are journalists who feel the need to stand up and and try and fight what they see as like the great corruption of our time, which is Donald Trump. Yeah. Know? And and I think that that's the, the problem that we have now is that to expose incompetence on the grandest scale the best thing that you can do is consistently hold the administration accountable for the promises they make uh, and, sure. and and follow and track their line of thought because if they're incompetent, it will indeed reveal itself. And in many ways you can say that it already has, uh, but Absolutely. it's not, it's not for you to, to spike, Right. Like the information is going to be the information is going to be the information. And and I, I will in in defense of these positions, and I would say it is acute when you are a White House correspondent. These are very odd jobs like the, the, to be a journalist <laughs> is to fundamentally turn off core elements of humanity. Like I, I was I was saying on, on yeah. one of the Twitch streams the other day, you know, one of the most. Uh, important lessons that I ever got, but this is like comms 100 in journalism school. Like one of the first <laughs> days, right? Is literally mm -hmm. just go to a stranger in the student union and ask them about their day and write it down. Like that. that's number one, because the first step is suspending your social norms of what you should and shouldn't do in life, right? Because you have to, if you want to ask these questions. Uh, to do that on a grand scale in these internationally televised uh, spots is high pressure. It's ego depleting. And I can understand where people get testy. Uh, the only, the only problem is, is that now we're, we're at, we're at a real inflection point where we need information and, and we need Definitely. to have a consistent flow of information that's pattern interrupted when it turns into why were you, mean to my coworker. Definitely. And there's also there's also the element of like this is like th that's the major leagues. Like if you get to a certain point as a journalist, uh, just like a, a lot of careers cuz it we, we are like essentially wedded to the entertainment industry. Yes. Um 
that's the reality of modern journalism. But like, once you get to a certain point, you will do anything to stay <laughs> to stay at the top. Yeah, which is not which is not great. That's not. I mean, the responsibility that we have should be first and foremost to the truth and to the American public, because journalism is a foundational part of democracy. We don't have democracy unless we have a healthy journalistic um, foundation. Like we need, we there's so much information, and we need we need to get, spread that information. That information needs to be broadcast. And you're right, man. It needs to happen in a way with, that that is without pettiness, like that is without like the the ego. But it's like I think we're we're in this very like all of the tensions that we felt between the media and Trump are like being exposed in a, in a more petty way than we'd hoped for. And it's like the early press conferences, there were little glimpses of it, you know, when they were like, when they were asking Trump questions that just really did not matter. You know, it was like, let's not, let's not get caught up in, in these, like, you know, it was like his use of, the phrase Chinese virus, which is yeah. like, okay, let's sort that out later. Like, let's not focus on that. Cause if, by focusing on it, you're just going to get like, he, he loves it when you focus on something like that. Now he's going to use Chinese virus in every single speech that he gives. So like you said, Justin, like, let's, let's look at the data. Let's, let's make these, these questions that everybody needs to know as simple as possible and and quit with the, all the quibbling about it. Yeah, just target it. Target it. Where are the tests going? Sure. Can we know whether or not Chicago, Illinois has more tests? Does, does, does New York have more tests? Does San Francisco have more tests? You know, there's there's just uh, 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 there's, there's a lot of stuff that people really, really care about that just kind of isn't getting uh, uh, covered. But uh, again, I don't know. I, I, now now I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of reflexively swinging the other direction and I'm, I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know if we need to tear him down. But I do think that there is there is there is certainly uh, a frustration that I have, especially when and and I, I I just want people to know it's not normal for the president of the United States to come out and answer that long, like a 45 minute block of free questions every day like that oh, is he loves it though oh he, he loves, loves it. it he loves it <laughs> and that's why he's doing it right yeah uh, definitely but but this is this is definitely. this weird thing where it's like people can't hear that and let both things be true yes it's true that he's well a, 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 a a press whore and uh on some level he wants to have uh, uh members of his cabinet come out and talk about how good of a job he's doing yes that is a motivation. And we have access by, theoretically, the most trained journalists on Capitol Hill that are able to ask him whatever they want. Like, these are both things that exist, and they have their goods and bads. Like, like and Definitely. I think it's, it's exceptionally good that we, that we have this, this, this question period with uh, uh, with 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 the president every day. It's I mean it's like every day now. Like I'm getting used to it. I, like it's part of my schedule now. That at nine o'clock <laughs> I turn on the news and there's a a COVID uh, press conference. Definitely, and and you know I think that is a lot. Um, one of the many reasons why you and I connected so well is that <laughs> we we 
we feel this. I for, I forget the exactly you phrased it, but it's this like sense of like I'm on the fence and I ain't coming out. Like yeah, it's like we we there, there's a responsibility to assess all of it, you know, because the the journalists right now are they're doing some good work, man. There's like, great work, great work out there. There there's there's important. I would say now more than ever, and 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 let me just put this out there. There have been more times where I've stopped and like just read full articles now than I yeah. ever have. And I feel like there is amazing uh, 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 journalism being done right now, up to and including uh, uh, the the successes and failures of the administration to get stuff out there. Uh, the real human cost that is happening, not only medically, but economically. Uh, the the fact that I mean, look, there was a great article that came out two days ago about how China, uh, China suppressed the the knowledge of this virus right uh yeah. and i just want to let you know for everybody that was asking you know uh, uh, what 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 uh, a message do you think it sends to the rest of the world when the president is belittling a reporter the message that it sends to china and russia is that donald trump is a big fat pussy willow because that reporter would be dead <laughs> in those countries like you you would not tolerate uh, uh somebody yeah. talking to the president like that uh, uh, the the fact that that kind of journalism is coming out of China, being reported out of China, that's no joke. That's like for real. No. You're putting your life on the line, kind of stuff. So how how far do you think this will go? All of this. <sighs> I mean, I guess you, you have to kind of break it down, right? Uh, I am of the belief that I don't think that a quarantine can last more than. A month total. And so if we're a week in, I don't think that it can last more than three weeks because there's not enough money to give everybody enough to live on. And the the next problem we're going to have if we keep trying to push this quarantine thing longer and longer are riots. And if, yeah. if, if that's the alternative, then at a certain point, you're going to have to open up some of these businesses again. Yeah. That's terrifying. All of this is so terrifying. Well, I mean, yeah, like, and and I'm and I'm just I'm just a guy. I didn't move and have a kid on the way in the next month and a half. I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, that's the beautiful thing, and that's what I tried to capture in this this article. Is you know, it's about it's about my daughter and my wife, but it's uh, it's like you told me when we were in Iowa, you know, find the universal truth. Yeah. And I, I, I tried to do that. And I wrote this story in a way that it's like, it's about my daughter, my wife, but you can transfer the, you can transfer whoever reads it. They will see themselves and the people they love in that story. And they will hopefully gain something out of it. Cause I, man, I spent so much time obsessively thinking about, you know, I have this platform. I have this responsibility to write something, and uh, it will it's going to go out there into into the world. And you know, I feel a, a social responsibility to make it positive, to try and give someone get or give everyone a sense of like just a, a flicker of light in this time of tremendous darkness, which is, I mean, we're. It feels like the world is vanishing all around us. It feels like an episode of The Walking Dead at times. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know, man. It's it's all it's also so perplexing. You know, and and obviously the big comparison is to nine eleven, 
where yeah you know there there was a element after 9-11 where probably for about a month and a half there was a real worry that more attacks were coming and that kind of gets minimized when we think about it in hindsight because nothing happened but i mean if you remember how everybody reacted to like the anthrax stuff um Oh, when, scary. When, when that it was, happened, it was very scary. Yeah, it was. It was, There was an existential dread. The only difference is, is that now the existential dread is happening before we've seen the horror, right? I mean, we've seen the horror on television. We've read about the horror in newspapers in China and in in Italy. Now Spain is in a a real tough situation, but at least in America, we've yet to see. You know the 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 memoirs and papas and abuelas dying in the in the hallway because they can't get a ventilator. Um, we and we might coming forward see that, but we don't know. Yeah. And that's that's the that's that's the 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 real dread combined with the fact that you know I've said this a couple times now, but as of right now, as I record this on March twentieth at at twelve forty three p.m. Pacific time. The cure is worse than the disease. We shut down our economy. Right. A ton of people are out of work. That is worse than what we have seen. And I, I, I pray to God that it stays that way. Uh, yeah. But right now, there, there is that. Like, we, 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 we took a bull economy behind the barn and shot it in the head. And we hope it comes back. <laughs> but we don't know. Well, let's at least get some steaks out of this thing. Yeah, uh, right? Uh, yeah, and, and by the way, the, the, the steaks are apparently more time for everybody to play ukulele on Facebook Live. <laughs> right? What a weird... What a, I mean, all of it is just... And here's another difference that you just hit on between now and, and the, very, the uncertainty following 9-11 is that all of this is just... It's immediate. Like, with social media, uh, it's all out there. Yeah. Like we have celebrities singing a John Lennon song, like acapella, uh, and, and to to further confuse this whole very confusing time. Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, the 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 reaction to that. Uh, I was actually heartened by. <laughs> I actually enjoyed the fact <laughs> that that got that that got dunked on. <laughs> like on on some level, I was just like like oh just shut up and donate money. Like we don't I'm yeah. like, like I, I, I very much enjoy the art of a lot of the people that participated in that. And I hope that they all live prosperous lives. But, uh, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're a friend of, of the podcast, uh, uh, Jack Allison and Kate raft. Kate does a, a celebrity pod, a, a celeb ride home, celeb news ride home. Uh, and, uh, she had a great episode where she just went into the, uh, real estate, prices paid for all of those kitchens that they were all singing in <laughs> that it's oh, like great. it's like uh, on, that's on, a clever angle yeah on some level it's just very nice you're all bored but uh uh this is why actors need writers <laughs> absolutely absolutely man um god so okay so back to one thing that we were talking about earlier okay go um so I got, uh, I have some friends in Europe and I had a, a buddy of mine send me a picture and he's in Madrid uh-huh. of tanks on the street in Madrid, empty streets, dude. Yeah. Like that is, that's unheard. But you know, part of that has to do with the laxity that 
that Spaniards and Italians rolled into it with, and we're seeing very, very frightening results of that. Like, you know, I think Italy has surpassed China yeah. in number of deaths or number of cases. Yeah. Like, that's terrifying, man. Um, I don't know. So I'm trying to balance that. I think as everyone is, I'm trying to balance that with like a sense of uh, humanity. And, you know, sometimes like celebrity, celebrities, you know, trying their best. Uh, sometimes it's a relief. But yeah, it, it like I, I was very happy to see everybody like band together and yeah. fight the cringe of that. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's fine, and and I'm sure that there were a lot of people that watched that that aren't the cool kids like we are, you know, uh, uh, critically <laughs> looking at everything. That's fine. Uh, I'm sure. sure there were a lot of people that were like, "Oh, that's very sweet. I love John Lennon. I remember when he died. Uh, look, I'm smiling now. That's cool. Uh, uh, I I found it a little cloying and annoying, but but whatever. Uh, just to give people a sense, as we're recording this right now. Uh, Italy, indeed, 4,032 deaths. China, 3,248. Although, to be totally honest, I don't know exactly how much. Uh, 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 Spain, 1,044 deaths. Iran, 1,433. That's another, I don't know exactly how much we should choose that number. But, uh, and, and then the USA at uh, 230 Um and you would expect that to kind of steadily climb, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is a scary time, and and there's there's no way that you can look at something that could be uh, charitably compared to the apocalypse, you know. <laughs> um, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty similar to that. You know, there's there's no way and, that you can can look at that and and do anything but shake your head and hope that we come out better on the other side. I was. I was thinking about it um, earlier when we were chatting about like the last time we hung out was uh, in, you know, at the Iowa caucuses. And that felt, that felt disastrous, you know, in the (laughs) moment it was like, it was a disaster. We felt like, I remember all day when we were in Iowa, you could feel this, like the attention of the world on the location where you were. Like if you turn on the radio, BBC, whatever, they mentioned Iowa. Um, and then it just, it was a disaster. It was a total disaster. But it paled, that pales in comparison now to this very real, very real global disaster. Oh, 100%. Like, you know, I, I don't even know where we are right now in terms of politics. Uh, at this point now, Joe Biden's been out of the public eye for, for since Tuesday, uh, uh, to the point where now it's becoming a story that he's not there. <laughs> Uh, but but just to bring people into where the last time that I saw Kevin face to face, we were covering the final uh, uh, day of the caucus, the day that the caucuses were happening. Uh, yeah. We go from what we think is going to be Amy Klobuchar's last event, uh, Sweet Summer Children We Were, <laughs> that uh, uh, does not is not her last event. Uh, uh, and so there's confusion all around us. And then. Go to the Bernie event where the vibes were black as night, like just just an angry group. And then we wound up going back to this uh, back to this dive bar that we had watched the Super Bowl at the (laughs) couple of nights prior. 
and uh, uh, it's a bunch of people that had all volunteered. The saddest among them was the Biden guy who was who, who, yeah. who was just he thought that the world had kind of fallen down around him. Now he's on top of the world, at least before, you know, the world decided to melt. <laughs> and by the way, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Biden's in a tub of Vaseline somewhere just recuperating. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess. All right, here, let, let's <laughs> let's let's wrap it up with just some more contemporary state of the race stuff. Uh, Bernie Sanders, wh- how long do you think he's in it from from now until he drops out? How many days? Oh, man. Yeah. Until his ego just completely swallows him. Uh, I want I want I guess a week if I'm being um, optimistic for him. Because there's going to be, I mean, uh, like, right now we're we're getting the last of the major coronavirus bills passed. Once yeah. that's done, all of the the eyes of politics are going to fall on what are you doing here, Bernie? I would suspect. Yeah. <laughs> the party was over, you know, months ago, bro. You gotta you gotta go home at some point. It's like he's back at that commune and he refuses to leave again. <laughs> I mean, the, other, the, the, the the problem for him is that he does represent a very, very passionate block. Uh, uh, Definitely. Know, uh, I've, I've, I've never, in any of the, the, the campaign stops that I went to, the Bernie folks, aside from the Trump folks, were the most passionate, right? Uh, and I think it's hard. It, it is, it's hard for him to say goodbye and... You know, also, I think that there's this, this strategic question of like, hey, you want you want to know a question that no serious journalist has asked, at least that I've seen? Uh, hey, does Biden have COVID? Because he's certainly <laughs> oh. not certainly not been around. Uh, yeah. If, if Donald Trump oh, didn't wow. show up for five days, I think people would be asking that question. Uh, uh, and if you're Bernie Sanders. Why not wait? I mean, you are a COVID diagnosis away from still being the nominee. (laughs) Wow. You always have like, you always have those best, the best insight, man. That's, that's spot on, dude. I, that would not surprise me. And and yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to start a rumor. I'm just saying that it is, it is, it is a question. It is a question that should be asked because I think that again, this gets into the idea of like, journalism for the sake of excavating information as opposed to activism. If you are an activist, then you want to protect your nominee. If you are excavating information, then you should have them on the record saying, no, he doesn't. And if he, and then if, (laughs) then if he's lying, then you string him up for that. Biden's also one of those dudes who like falls asleep halfway through a sentence. And you're like, uh, are you you there, bro? Like, we we need the answer to that you're about to give us. So who knows, man? Who knows what he's doing? I, uh, I'm I'm a little like I'm a little sad to see Bernie go because I was like, yeah, it looked very good for him, and it would have like Bernie's exciting, you know. He offers yeah. a lot of really exciting ideas, and he's like, it would be a very very like heartening battle between him and Trump, and I think we would all benefit from it or we would have all benefited from it far more than I think we, we will benefit from a Biden Trump showdown. Uh, well, it, it certainly would have been a big question on, it would have been a referendum on socialism in America. Definitely. Right? Like it would have been, it would have been that, that question of, of, of 
do is America ready for, you know, at least New Deal level socialistic programs in our modern era? Like, like that would be that, that would be that would be the question, which is at least a policy question. I don't know how many policy questions we're really going to get when it comes to uh, uh, Trump and Biden. Uh, and then oh, even yeah. more so after after all this, you know, craziness. Yeah, I think they're both going to be a couple of pony faced dog soldiers or whatever. <laughs> dog faced uh, pony <laughs> soldiers. Dude, you know, you know, I was I was at that press conference. That's so awesome. <laughs> what was that? What was that like? It was the least weird thing he said. There were like three or four other super <laughs> weird things, but they weren't sound bites. They were just weird meandering <laughs> moments that I'm like, what the hell is happening? So when that happened, I was just like, I don't even know. I mean, I don't know. Everybody on the podcast has heard me say this forever, but uh uh Kevin Ryan, uh the Kevin Ryan on Twitter. Uh that's where folks can get your latest article. Uh what is the headline there so they know which one it is? It is uh, becoming a father during the COVID-19 pandemic. Perfect. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, man. It is always a pleasure to catch up, and we'll have you on soon. Always a pleasure, Justin. All right, before we wrap things up, let's go ahead and jump on into the mailbag. You can always send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Michael Kepper writes, I believe Bernie Sanders should stay in the race right up until the last primary in order to keep pushing forward the progressive agenda and policies. I hope it will push Sleepy Biden more to the left. Cheers. So that's a cool thing to say. It's a harder thing to actually do. It's like kind of the same logic that everybody had of, of oh, we're going to have a brokered convention that, that you can prevent Bernie from winning if everybody stays in until the very end. That, again, it's when everybody was saying that, I thought it was stupid because, like, that involves eating so much shame, so many losses, and all you have to do to make it all go away is quit. Like, do you really want to eat all those losses? So, yeah, Bernie can stay in, presuming we ever have primaries again. He can stay in, but he's got to continue to lose. And to your second point, which I think is the more relevant, does that help or hurt the progressive movement? If he stays in, is Biden more or less likely to be pushed to the left? If the reinforced decision week after week after week are that Democrats don't want Bernie Sanders without Biden taking any of those positions, then why would Biden start now? Would he be more likely to take a position if Bernie just ended it now? Now, that's a big question because Bernie's a never-say-die kind of guy. He's got to decide when to do it. But I don't think that it's just that that's a cool thing to type. Stay in until the very end. I don't know if it really gets you to where you want to go, though. That's your question. All right. If you want to send me an email one more time, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. I would like to thank our Titanic $10 tier, Dennis, Brad, Dustin, Richard, Kilowatt, 
Darren, Daily Tech News Show, Milk Leg, Jay Milius, Paul, Jonathan, The Jen, Nicholas, Adam, Olin, and Angela, Zach, Chad, Andrew, Peter, Nick, Frozen, Jim, DL, Lindsay, Steven, Adam, D Laser, and Middle Aged Mike. If you want to join their ranks, and trust me, I'd love if you have the ability to take politics seriously. Dot com. Of course, you can follow me everywhere at Justin R. Young on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to go get that weird new podcast that I'm doing about Billy Crystal movies, you can get it on my SoundCloud. That is soundcloud.com slash Justin Robert Young. Till next time, this is your old boy, J.R.Y. Telling you that some shows talk about politics. Still more talk about politics. And there was one I saw being live streamed on Facebook Live where they were talking about politics. But this, friends, is the only show where we talk about Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>